Let's raise our praise to the Lord. Sing. We raise a hallelujah. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'll raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I'll raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I'll raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Sit out.
have a seat, and uh, we're going to have Mark come up and give us a few announcements real quick. All right. Thank you, team. Again, my name is Mark Klepsig. It's good for me to welcome you here today. Thanks for joining us, whether you're in Zoom land or here with us in the courtyard. We're glad that you've taken your time to come and worship together with us. Um, if you are our guest this morning, we do have a free gift for you. It's a book that's called How Good is Good Enough, and you can grab one of those on the resource table over to my left on your way out. If you'd like to have one of those or give one to a friend or a family member, please feel free to take one. Um, you can find the song lyrics and the listening guide for today's message, uh, as well as uh, the offering envelopes here on the guest resource table as well, or the, the resource table over that way. Um, you should have been handed one of those on your way in, but if you didn't, feel free to get up now and grab one if you need that. Or like Victor said, if you want to be more green, uh, if you like me, you like it electronically, it's at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Um, for those, uh, we're really, really grateful for our regular crowd that uh, generously supports our ministry here. But if you'd like to give, you can do so online or, again, with the offering envelope, uh, as well as your um, connection card can be put in the buckets on your way out. So today we have a CIV class, Discovering CIV. So if you'd like to learn more about our mission, uh, how we intend to accomplish that, and how you can be a part and get any questions you might have answered, uh, today would be the day to do that. That'll be from 11.30 to 2 p.m. And we'll be meeting under the orange umbrellas over here uh, out in the courtyard. Um, lunch and childcare will be provided. So hopefully there's not anyone gasping, remembering, oh, I did sign up for that. Uh, but uh, if you signed up, uh, we're prepared for you, and we probably have enough extra. If there's some folks that didn't remember to sign up but would like to be a part of that, please feel free to join us. Um, next Sunday, we are also having a meeting, and that's in preparation for our parent-child dedication, which will be taking place on Mother's Day, which is May 9th. And so if you uh, haven't had an opportunity to go to the overview, we'll be having an overview next week. Or if you had a couple kids since you went to the overview and now you'd like to go again with a lot more context, feel free to join us then. Uh, and so that really lets you know um, what that ceremony is all about, where you're dedicating yourself and your family uh, to raise your child just in a way that is honoring to God and helps them to be successful in life and to do that within our community. So please join us for that. Another exciting announcement, we're opening preschool, reopening preschool uh, for classes in Kid Zone, ages three through five. That'll be beginning May 2nd, so in a couple weeks. Uh, it'll be in a courtyard adjacent to the one uh, where the older kids are currently meeting now. And we'll continue to follow the COVID guidelines, so masking, uh, we won't be serving snacks. Um, you could send a water bottle along with your kid if, if that's required. And so parents that have younger children, hang out. You could do it for two more weeks. We'll be opening the class. Uh, there's one more announcement that didn't make the screen here, but um, we want to make sure we had handed out a calendar earlier, a church calendar that says that we're having our volunteer appreciation on May 1st. And I want to let you know that we've decided to postpone that until we can find a venue that's opened up. Um, we're going to push that out into the summer. So every week, uh, the team behind me here and lots of other people really put in a lot of hours and, and do what it takes to make church go. So every year when there's not a pandemic, we like to hold an event to really honor that service and, get, and thank you. So we'll be doing that later in the summer. So look out for an announcement 
and we'll be letting you know when that's going to take place. So we have one more song, and we'll continue to worship until Dr. Taylor comes up and gives us our message. Thanks. Stand with us as we continue to sing.
the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And we know your name is power. So we love you. We adore you. We ask that as Dr. Taylor comes to speak, you would use him to communicate truth to us. Be truth that is uh, life-changing. Not truth that is just head knowledge, truth that it becomes heart knowledge, truth that invades our lives and permeates and makes us look more and more like Jesus. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Welcome to Dr. Taylor. Can one of you get that... Um Well, well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to be here. What a blessing to be with God's people, worshipping the Lord on a beautiful, sunny morning and uh, to share the fellowship and God's presence among us. And uh, so, love it. and I was here a few weeks ago, so thanks for inviting me again. And uh, my name's John, John Taylor, and uh, please feel free just to call me John, or as they say, you know, call me John, call me Dr. Taylor, as long as you call me, just call me. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm today going to talk about a passage from the book of Ephesians, and the title of this is Imparting Grace, and this is from Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through to 5 verse 2. So I sort of stretched the text that I gave uh, to Mark and I've just gone one or two verses longer. So I'm just going to read this out to begin with. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, so, uh, so my first... Uh, thing I want to say today is to ask your forgiveness for my odd accent, so I know that uh, I give you opportunity to forgive me, and I, you know, so anyway, uh, it's my Australian birth and upbringing, and then living over 20 years in England, and now living uh, many years in America, including 12 years in Texas, so it's a, it's a kind of confused accent, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, you'll still be able to understand me. And, uh, you know, in the uh, early Jewish group, a, there was a Jewish, a Jewish sect that lived in Egypt uh, around the time of Christ called the Therapeutae. 
And uh, when they listen to someone, listen to their leader talk about the scriptures, uh, if they didn't understand something, uh, they, weren't allowed to, they weren't allowed to speak up during the, during the talk, but they would, they're just allowed to uh, raise a finger and just kind of nod their finger over like that and with a little nod of the head, and that's the way the speaker knows that they didn't, they didn't understand, they need, it re, they need it restating. So if I see anybody go like that, I know it means you're not getting me. So... I happen to be, though, married to a, a California girl, Heidi. My wife is with us today. She's from Orange County, and that's where we're living right now. So uh, I'm feeling right at home. This passage is talking about what the Christian grace-filled life looks like. It's about we who have received grace get to impart it to others. When we, we who have received grace become those who pass on God's grace to other people in the very way that we live. Now, just a little thought about the background of this passage in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, of course, is a wonderful book, and many of you will have read it many times. But this is a letter written to a church, and get this, a church that needed to know how to live in a world that seems dominated by evil powers. How do you live as the people of God in a world which seems to be dominated by evil and by evil powers? And you know, that's the way we sometimes feel about the world we live in today, right? Uh, no matter how much good we seem to do, bad seems to erupt all the time around us. And evil so often seems to have its way. And, of course, we know there are evil powers in the world. And Paul talks quite a bit about this in the book of Ephesians. But he's telling this church who perhaps are somewhat intimidated by the powers around them, whether they're the spiritual powers, whether they're the religious powers, whether they're the governmental powers under the, under the Roman occupation, whether it's the power of the wealth of the city, a very wealthy city, that they lived in there in Ephesus, all the ways that the world around them can intimidate them and make them feel small. And this book is saying, no, you don't have to live under that sense of intimidation because in Christ, in Jesus Christ, God has done something so incredible, so remarkable. He has raised Christ from the dead. And as Ephesians says earlier, he's made you sit with him in the heavenlies through raising you also. Now, that's what the letter's written about. So, if we're going to live in a world where evil dominates or seems to dominate, then one of the things that has to, has to happen in our lives is we ourselves cannot be personally dominated by evil practices and by evil in our own lives. Or if another way to say it is, if you want to share good news, you've got to be good news. If you want to share the good news, you've got to be good news. One of my uh, former missionary leaders used to talk about it in this way, uh, you've got to live in the opposite spirit to the spirit of the age and the spirit of the culture that, you're, that God has placed you in. And where that culture is dishonest, you've got to be truthful. Where that culture is bitter, you've got to be forgiving and so on, and so on. 
And when you are like that, you can have remarkable impact on the world because you can be good news, not just speak good news, and the message and the messenger match, and that speaks to the world. Now, right in the immediate context of this passage we just read, in the few verses before, Paul says to the Ephesians, in, back in verse 7 of chapter 4, 17, beg your pardon, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, or as the pagans walk. In other words, don't live like you used to. This is a church full of people who used to be pagans, idol worshippers, and he's saying to them, don't walk like the people around you walk. You can't live like them. You just can't. And he says it's in the emptiness or the futility of their minds. They are darkened in understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance in them due to their hardness of heart. They're callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, to practice every kind of impurity. That's not how you learned the Messiah, Christ. Assuming you have heard about him or taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Assuming you've heard, and he says this in verse 22 to 24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and true holiness. That's where our passage then begins. This model he's given them of putting off the old self, that was like the, just the, the self that lived just like everybody else around them. It was given over to greed and to sensuality and, to be, and callousness and every other thing. Every hardness of heart, alienated from the life of God, put off that old self, that belongs, he says, to your former manner of life and it's corrupt because of desires which are deceitful and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So put off the old, be renewed in your mind, in your thinking, and then put on the new self, a new self which has been created. You don't generate your new self yourself, right? You cannot generate or create your new self yourself. The verb here it is, is passive, which means it, the new self has been created. It wasn't you who did it. If you were a believer today, then your new self has already been created by God in your new birth, in your being regenerated, in your being, becoming a believer and receiving the Holy Spirit. That new self, and so, but you, in, in practice, you have to put it on. It's like putting off one old dirty set of clothes and putting on a new set, but it's even more fundamental. It gets to the very life that we live, not just the appearance that we have. So notice that process, put off the old, be renewed in our thinking and our minds, put on the new. In this passage, Paul then has said to them about that the hardness of heart leads to wrong thinking, leads to wrong practice. And, uh, and so now that your hearts have been softened by the Lord, we now have to adopt the right thinking and the right practice. We have to put off the old, be renewed in the mind, and put on a new self. What kind of self is it? It's the holy and righteous self. And so notice the need for both change practice and change thinking, and it all comes from God himself. And, he, and it comes from his 
making us new people in Jesus Christ. What about the practical realities, though? Let's talk about that. That's where our passage today helps us. And in verses 25 to 32 of Ephesians 4, it talks about five radical transformations. Five radical transformations. From selfishness to selflessness and love, from using others to blessing them. I'll tell you what the five are in a minute. These aren't it, <laughs> right? But this is just a kind of heading. From using others to blessing them, from being part of the problem to being part of the solution, from sucking goodness from the world to imparting grace to the world. These transformations are based on the creative work of God in making us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Each transformation requires, each of them requires, putting off the old, putting on the new, and having a new way of thinking, a proper understanding. Each transformation leads to a life which imparts grace, which blesses other people. Each transformation takes us further into the life and the heart of God, the Father, and further away from the power of the enemy. And the, and the way, the corruptus that has come into creation through sin. And so now let's get right into our five transformations, starting in verse 25. Therefore, he says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This is all about truthful speech. This is a transformation from falsehood to truth, especially in our speech. You know, cultures can lose the belief that lying is wrong. Now, our culture isn't there yet. We're on the way. I know we're not there quite yet, but we just have to look at the last election and uh, we witness all the accusations of lying that were being made against both sides of the election. They're all accusing each other of lying. At least that means that they know theoretically that lying is wrong. Because you can, if you, it's, it's something you can accuse other people about. Right? So you, anybody who accuses someone else of, of lying knows that lying is somehow wrong. That doesn't mean, of course, that they're not lying themselves. I think we're, you know, so we haven't quite lost the belief that lying is wrong, but we're half there, halfway there. We are concerned about our opponent's lies, other people's lies, much less about our own lies. Witness, for example, the rash of fact-checking we have in the media and politics. That's become a big thing. You fact-check the opponents in the political process you, or in the media. And... Uh, uh, it only it turns out that the fact-checkers themselves are lying quite a lot of the time. That's the way our culture is going. Another witness, the plague, and, and this is from someone who teaches uh, in, in a higher education. You know, we, but we witness the plague of plagiarism and other forms of cheating in schools and colleges. We could just name lots of personal stories as well about how lying and dishonesty has affected us. But listen, all of this lying leads to a loss of trust and to a lack of community. And no community 
and no society can survive disintegration when trust is gone. Listen, no community, no society, no family, no church can survive disintegration when trust is gone and the only way that the semblance of unity is maintained in that situation is by force or by the multiplication of numerous laws and law enforcement mechanisms, which is the same thing as force. And this kind of applies to families and churches as well. How do you keep something together when trust is gone? Only by regulation, mandate and force, enforced togetherness. If we're going to build a church that changes the world, it's got to be based on a mutual trust among ourselves where we know that we speak the truth and we know as a matter of course how many Christians have been hurt by other Christians who've lied to them on a business deal or some other situation. It happens. So Paul is saying, put off lies, put off dishonesty, and put on truth and put on honesty. I will say at this point that openness is really important, right? Honesty and openness is really important. Uh, and, and so truthfulness means that we have an inner integrity that wants others to know the truth. And, and, and uh, that's something that God is building into us through our new creation through our new birth. But it's not just the putting off the old and the putting on the new, right? What we have here in this text is also a new way of thinking. Put off the old, be renewed in your spirit of your minds, put on the new man. What's the new thinking here? What Paul says here, he says, let each of one, each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That's the new way of thinking. In other words, you, you don't just belong to yourself. Right through Ephesians, Paul is talking about the church being one body in Christ. In chapter 1, the church is Christ's body. In chapter 2, both Jews and Gentiles are reconciled to God in the one body. In chapter 3, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body with the Jewish believers, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body. In chapter 4, 16, the church, the body of Christ, built itself up in love as it is held together. And in chapter 5, we are members of Christ's body. This is an emphasis in this book, the fact that we are members of one another. In chapter 5, he cherishes us because we are his own body. In Christ, in the Messiah, Jesus, we no longer simply belong to ourselves. We belong to each other as part of the same body. So we need, as Christ cherishes his body, which is us, we need to cherish one another, the whole body, the whole church, as we cherish ourselves. Or, as Jesus put it, love one another as I have loved you. When we lie, we're hurting one another. And when one believer lies, 
the whole body is affected, shamed, and hurt. Put off the old, put off the dishonesty, put on the truth, speak the truth, and put on the new thinking. We belong to one another. We don't belong to ourselves. We're not just isolated. We're no longer islands. When one part of the body hurts, the rest hurts. That's the first transformation. The second one is in verse 26 and verse 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, let's call this a peaceful mind. A peaceful mind. This is about moving from ang- moving away from anger and into peacefulness. You know, anger is a, a funny thing sometimes. I read a story a few years ago about a man uh, who was facing a jail term uh, because he, he attacked someone at a bus stop with, a, with his homework folder. He, he grabbed his homework folder and he smacked around this other man and he's facing going to jail for assault. What was it? And he was discovered by the police because he dropped this homework folder uh, after he fled the scene. Uh, it turns out that they tracked him by the name in there, and that the home. And interesting, here's the interesting thing: the homework that was his anger management homework. That was his anger management homework that he was smacking someone around at the bus stop with, dropped it, and left. Uh, so much for that week's lesson. This was a 27-year-old attacking a 63-year-old. There's a memorable line in one of the Harry Potter movies, Order of the Phoenix, where Harry says, I just feel so angry all the time. Anger has become the one acceptable emotion for the unemotional man. Anger is in so many cultures the justifiable reaction to problems and difficulties. Jesus said that anger, like murder, is subject to judgment. You've heard it was said to an older generation, don't murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. I'm saying to you, Jesus said, that anyone who is angry with a brother will be subject to judgment. That's in Matthew 5, 21, 22. Paul says here, however, be angry and do not sin. What does that mean? Is there a, is there a right kind of anger, a, 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 some anger that's acceptable? Well, I, I, we know, of course, there is a kind of righteous anger in the Bible, and God, that happens to God. You know, or at least he exhibits righteous anger on occasions when he acts in judgment. And Jesus had righteous anger when he cleansed the temple and so on. But I'm not sure that's what Paul's talking about here. The way you could translate this, if you're angry, don't sin. And then he says, don't let the sun go down on your being provoked. I think it's, it's this, that anger is an emotion like other emotions. And you cannot directly control it, right? Just like if I said, everybody, just be joyful right now. I'm telling you, commanding you, be joyful. You know, it just doesn't work. If I said, be miserable, I'm commanding you. It just doesn't work, right? You can't directly control your emotions, but you can indirectly by what you respond to 
how you speak, what you think about, because emotions are responses to our thoughts. And so, occasionally, there's going to come into your head or into your heart, into your body, a feeling of anger and irritation. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What Are you going to dwell on it? You're going to be th angry thoughts. Are you going to meditate on them? Are you going to let them win the day or are you going to put off the anger? Further down in the passage, Paul's going to say, put away all anger. So he's not saying, yeah, a certain amount of anger is good. That's fine, just human. No, he's saying, here's what to do when you feel angry. Don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, deal with it right away. Put off the old habit of anger. Put on the new habit. Restrain it right away. Put off the old, put on the new. What's the new thought here? The new thought is that anger gives place to the devil. He says, and uh, give no place or opportunity to the devil. It, another way to say that, it's a geographical term, meaning a place here. It's an occasion, an opportunity, a place. Uh, and so when we let anger rule the day, that lets the devil in, basically. He, uh, the one that the church, the one that Jesus has conquered on the cross and through the resurrection, the one who's the enemy has now got some kind of influence that he didn't have before, and so that's what happens with anger. Some problems you cannot solve in a moment. You can't, the problem that made you feel angry, you can't necessarily solve before the sun goes down. But you can put off your anger so as not to sin. The back, by the way, this is an Old Testament quote when Paul says this is from Psalm 4. And in a context of the quote, is a, the, the writer of the psalm has anger at the state of the world around. It's emptiness. It's lies. He's angry at his situation in life. It's angry that things have gotten worse rather than better. You know, people live in constant frustration, irritation and anger, and then they don't sleep well. That's what happens in Psalm 4 when the psalmist writes, about these things. He says, be angry, do not sin, speak in your hearts, and on your beds, be pricked, which means really to feel remorse. And then it goes on, sacrifice, the sacrifice of righteousness and hope in the Lord. And it goes on to say, you gave gladness in my heart. It goes on to say, in peace altogether, I will lie down and sleep because you alone, O Lord, cause me to dwell in hope. I think that's why, why Paul talks about not letting the sun go down on your anger. He's really thinking about how anger can control your life to such an extent. So you're so irritated, frustrated, that, and all the time that you literally can't sleep properly. And he's saying, just put off the anger God wants to give you gladness. He wants to give you sleep. He wants to give you a peaceful mind and a peaceful heart. That's 
Second transformation. Third transformation, verse 28. Financial integrity. Financial integrity. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I do happen to collect stories about thieves uh, who, uh, about stupid thieves. And uh, anyway, here's one I found just a few years ago happened in New Zealand. Uh, There were some teenagers trying to steal fuel from a New Zealand farm uh, ended up destroying their own car. So they siphoned the diesel from the farm's tank and they poured it into their own gas-driven vehicle when, the, when their car would not start. They opened up the fuel cap. It was nighttime, of course, while they're stealing. They got their lighter and and, and lit it to look down the fuel, t- the fuel pipe to see if there's something the matter down there. That's going to ruin your whole day. Here's another one. Police had little trouble finding the fingerprint of a thief who broke into a carpenter's workshop in Spain. The thief left behind his finger, which he cut off on a piece of carpentry equipment, and they arrested him at a hospital clinic. You know, even the thief thinks stealing is wrong when you steal from him or her. Paul is, and so you put off the stealing. No longer steal. What do you put on? You put on hard work, labor. You see, stealing is a selfish shortcut to get what you want without hard work. That's what it is. Stealing is a selfish shortcut to get what you want without hard work. Or get what even you know even what you need without hard work. And uh, and so, but what's the new thought, right? The new thought is that you're not just getting money for yourself. The new thought is earn doing honest work with your own hands, laboring, so that you have something to share with those in need. That's the new thought. It's not just a matter of getting what you want or what you need. It's having something to give to others. And that's, that can happen through your labor. And, uh, and so getting a job and earning your living is not selfish. It's something that, first of all, when you're earning your own living, you're not being a burden on someone else. And, uh, and, and secondly, it gives you something to give to those who can't earn their own living. Uh, for one reason or another, because of illness or age or what have you, or other needs that people have around us. So ancient elite thought in in Ephesus, or at least in in the Eastern Mediterranean, the elite people thought that manual labor, working with their own hands, is somehow vulgar and horrible. They They needed people and slaves to do that kind of work, uh, they just didn't. They just thought anybody who did it was awful, and and not to be associated with. But Paul is very clear, and he's like other rabbis of the day, uh, who said no, manual labor is good. Work with your own hands. It's uh, many of you come from a university environment uh, in this church, and th- praise the Lord for that. But one thing we mustn't allow ourselves to do: the more we get educated, is to look down 
on manual labour as somehow lesser than intellectual labour. Work then so as to be generous to those in need, to give to others, to impart the grace to others through giving to them. It's not all about you. And then our next transformation is speaking grace. Verse 29 and 30, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. We're supposed to put off destructive, damaging speech. What habits of speech are corrupt? The word for, for corrupt or corrupting or bad here or evil is a word, and a Greek word, sampros, which means, which elsewhere in the New Testament is used for bad fruit compared to good fruit on a tree. It's rotten, it's horrible. Put off that kind of speech. Let's name a few kinds of speech which are, which are bad, rotten. Constant criticism is one of them, coming from a critical spirit. Putting other people down, not building them up. Constant complaining is another one. We could go on and on. There's lots of them. But Paul is here saying, put on the opposite, put off that kind of speech, put on the new, put on speech that builds people up. That's a challenge. Some of the biggest blessings in my life are people who went out of their way to encourage me. When I was a, missionary, a young missionary, my missionary leader, he was kind of prophetic, black and white guy. We used to call him laser eyes because he felt like he could look right through you. And, uh, but he got me aside and said, John, he said, now he was a, he was a his name's Oliver, he was a, uh, from Zimbabwe, a black man from Zimbabwe, he was my leader. And uh, so he took me aside one day, said, I, can I have five minutes with you? And I thought, oh, what have I done, what have I done, you know. So he took me aside, John, and he's just spent, he took five minutes without ceasing and gave me lots of encouragement. Here's things I see God doing in you. Here's where you're growing. Here's the things I'm blessed with. Gave me five minutes solid encouragement. Changed my life. I, I often, when I think about speech that builds up rather than tears down, that is thankful rather than complaining, I think about my own grandmother. How, despite the fact that, like anybody who lives long enough, she suffered, you know, if you, if you haven't suffered in life, you just haven't lived long enough, right? So, you know, whatever was happening, she was always so thankful for what she had. She always used to say, there's always someone worse off. And she was thankful to God. So put off the old destructive speech. Put on the new upbuilding speech. No evil talk came out of your mind. Only what is good for building up. What's the new thought, the new way of thinking, the renewal of the mind? That's in the next verse there where we read, don't grieve, sorry, don't uh, grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Destructive speech grieves the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, this has a background in Isaiah 63. It talks about the people of Israel uh, in Isaiah's time and then even also reflecting even further back to the wilderness generation, how they grieved the Holy Spirit. 
uh, by the way they complained and rebelled against God and, and so on. And you see, the thing is, God had put His Holy Spirit in the midst of them. His presence was with them. And yet, they grieved Him. In Ephesians, in chapter 2, Paul says to them, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the ones in whom God has placed His very own presence by His Holy Spirit. And it's holy. Don't grieve Him. Don't grieve Him. He wants, you know, to bless us so much. Don't grieve him. Ephesians then is, has a kind of new exodus mentality where the church is now the people coming into the promised land, into the promises of God for his creation. We are experiencing all that God intended. Don't grieve his Holy Spirit. You know, I have a testimony in this regard. Uh, when I was in my missionary training back in Australia, you know, God really convicted me about my sense of humor. It was very negative. I used to joke a lot, and, but it was always putting someone else down with my joke. Always a negative thing. And God just massively convicted. And I had to go, had to go around, God told me to go around everybody in the community, the mission training school that I lived was residential school. I had to go around everybody that I had made jokes against and personally ask their forgiveness and repent. Then I, he told me to stand up in front of the entire community, students and staff, faculty, and, uh, and repent and confess and ask their forgiveness. And I did this. It was, I can't say it was easy. <laughs> anyway, a few weeks later, I had a friend come to visit me, a, a, a couple that were like spiritual parents to me. And the wife took me aside and she said, John, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You're so serious. You used to be so funny. What happened? Why are you, what's, what's gone wrong? And I realized that when I repented of my negative humor, that was it. There, was no more, there were no more jokes. That was all my humor. It was gone. I, at least I knew that I'd stopped. How do you know when you've repented of something? When you stopped. But it's not just putting on the, off the old. You have to put on the new. And so from that time, I started to pray, oh God, give me positive humor. Uh, you, can, you have to, I'm not sure whether that prayer has been answered yet, but I am, you know, I've still got time. So uh, it's, uh, you know, this is, this is the Lord. It's, it's true. We have to put off the old way of talking, put on the new, because otherwise we grieve the Holy Spirit who wants to live with us. Last and final of the fifth transformation, living in forgiveness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice the progression. It starts with bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. It leads to wrath and anger. Then it goes to shouting and clamor and conflict. It ends up in slandering and abusing other people. That's a, ter a terrifying and a terrible sequence. You see, we become what we resent. We become what we resent, what we become, we bitter against. We focus on it, we dwell on it, and eventually we become it. Put off the angry reactions, the bitterness, the ingrained unforgiveness. Put off the hatred the and, and put off the wrath and the anger and the conflict and the clamor and the shouting and the slander. What do you put on? 
kindness, tenderheartedness, compassion. Actually, the word for tenderhearted here is compassion. Uh, forgiving one another. Forgiveness, you see, is a choice, not a feeling. The feelings follow. When you choose to forgive, eventually you'll feel forgiving. It may take a little while. I, I, there was a, a guy who told me this story. He was a pastor, and he had been counseling one of the members of his church. There's this man who, who just was, would get angry and violent and beat up his wife. And uh, says, you know, he kept coming to the pastor to say, pray for me, pray for me. God will set me free and everything. And, and so after some period of this, finally the pastor said to this man, look, this, this anger that you've got, uh, this violence, can you control it? He said, yeah. So my pastor friend offered to give him some of his own medicine. Uh, because really, he was asking God to set him free from something that God was saying, put it off. Just put it off. Stop it. The power of the Spirit is there for us to put off the old. The new creation life that God has given us is in us already to put off the old and put on the new. You don't need more power. You need to obey. Put it off the old, put on the new, What's the new way of thinking? We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive because we have been forgiven by God in Christ. You know, this passage, especially verse 32, really changed my life. I was, uh, I, there was in my, when I was a younger man and a young Christian, Something happened in my life and I got really bitter and angry towards some people. They felt like they didn't treat me well. It was just, it was nothing really. It was, I, was, I played tennis and something happened in a tennis club where they, I just felt really badly treated. And, uh, you know, look, looking back, it wasn't all that big, but I just, one of those things that I got angry and bitter with. And anyway, I was dwelling on this, but there came a time when I was praying for someone else and saying, and saying Lord, I would like to bless my friend with a, with a scripture. Could you just give me a, a word from the, from the Bible that I can send to my friend, you know, encouragement? He, and he said to me, Ephesians 4.32. So I looked it up and I realized it wasn't for them, it was for me. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I had to forgive and, and thankfully God helped me to do that. Uh, changed my life. I had to start the practice of forgiveness. And in this passage, forgiveness goes along with a tender heart of compassion and a life of kindness. It's not just about do's and don'ts, this passage. It's about heart, mind, and life change. Let's come to the conclusion then. Imitating God. Look what he says here at the end of verse 32. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you there, and, and then at the beginning of 5.1, and sometimes these chapter divisions aren't in a good place. They're not inspired, by the way. They're just useful. Uh, in 5.1, he says, Therefore, what? Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. You are loved, walk in love. You are forgiven, walk in forgiveness. Just like Jesus Christ just as Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
be like your father, Father God. How can we imitate God, honestly? I mean, that's an impossibility, surely. You know, obviously we can't uh, uh, become all-knowing. Uh, I'm trying that one. I was really working on that one, but it's not happening just yet. Uh, I want to become all-powerful. That's not working too well. Uh, you know, uh, even cats don't obey me, so uh, clearly I'm not quite all-powerful yet. Uh, but... So some of those attributes of God, we will never be God and you'll never be all-powerful, all-knowing or everywhere present. But you can walk in love as you are loved by the loving God. You can forgive as God forgives. God is truthful. We can imitate His truthfulness. God is peaceful. We can imitate His peaceful mind. God is honest. The Father is honest. The Father speaks graciously. The Father forgives. You are loved. Walk in love. Start, he says, with forgiveness, right? Forgiving one another because God in Christ forgave you. Imparting grace is imitating God in our relationships to other people because that's who God is and what's the, what he does. He's a God of grace who imparts grace. By the way, when it says in verse 32, forgiving one another, it's, there are more than one word. There's two words for forgiveness in the New Testament or for forgiving. This is the second of them. This one is actually related to the word for grace. It means gracing one another. And so, so he says, be like your father. Be like God, imitate Him. And then he says, be like Jesus. Look at verse 2. Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So, walk in love just as Christ loved us, gave Himself up for us. Later on in Ephesians 5, he's going to say, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But that's not only husbands who have to love like Christ loved sacrificially. It turns out, before he says that to husband, he says it to everybody. Love like Christ loved. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's everybody's job to love like Christ and to love like the Father. The new life in Christ is a life that looks like Christ's life unselfish, imparting grace. Like Christ's self-giving was as a pleasing sacrifice and aroma to the Lord, your new life in Christ can be pleasing to the Lord and, and transformative to those around. This is what it looks like to, live, to, to imitate God, to imitate Jesus, to have the presence of the Spirit to put off the old, be renewed in our minds and put on the new way of living, a way that imparts grace. God bless. Let us say a word of prayer here. Oh, Father, Father, we do want to be like you in our love, in our truthfulness, in our graciousness. Lord, in our integrity. Lord, 
in our forgiveness. Father, in Jesus' name, and through the power of your Spirit, help us now, today and this week, to put off the old, these things that are like the world around us. Help us to put on the new that will impart grace to those around us. And, help, and Lord, as we come, let us think these new thoughts, remembering who you are and what you have done. Oh God, we are your people. By your spirit, we thank you for what you've done in our very lives and hearts. Continue to transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. John. We're going to uh, continue with some time of worship, um, but as we uh, reflect on the message, I encourage you guys to fill out your connection card and to let us know your next steps. Um, but really during this time as we play and as we sing, um, to really meditate on perhaps some of the things that you need to put off, some of the things you need to put on, some of the ways we need to renew our minds. Um, so that was, a, that was an excellent message. Thank you again. Um, so let's just take some time to think about that as we, as we sing.
Jesus is stronger, our shame was great, but Jesus, you're greater, sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger, our shame was great, but just now with us and declare this, sin was strong, but sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger, our shame was great, but Jesus, you're greater. as we sing did you feel the mountains tremble did you hear the oceans roar when the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ the risen one did you feel the people did you feel the people tremble? Did you hear the singers roar? When the lost began to sing of Jesus Christ, the saving one. We can see, and we can see that God is moving a mighty river through the when young and old will turn to Jesus, the thing what you have. 
you've given us and to put off the old and put on the new Lord. Help us to see the ways that we're still clinging to our old lives. Help us to put them and shed them to keep on running this race with endurance and setting our eyes upon you, Lord. Give us strength, give us the um, wisdom and the clarity and determination to put on the new self and to walk in you and to reign your kingdom to this earth. can see that God you're moving a mighty river through the nations when young and old will turn to Jesus fling wide you heavenly gates prepare the way of the for coming. We'll uh, see you all next week.